You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. A passionate belief in the power of advocacy fuels the organization AIDS Free World. They hope to promote the demise of HIV AIDS and are willing to openly critique those responsible for addressing the challenges of this most devastating public health issue. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Toronto, Canada, is Stephen Lewis, co-director of AIDS Free World, former UN Special Envoy for HIV AIDS in Africa, and former Deputy Executive Director of UNICEF. Stephen Lewis, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm glad to be here. Don't you get the sense when you use all those formers that my life is in the past tense? <laughs> Not at all. I can see what you're up to now, and, and I know you're very busy. It was your work from 2001 through 2006 as UN Special Envoy for AIDS in Africa that seems to have inspired you to help create AIDS-Free World. Tell us about that progression and the mission of AIDS-Free World. Yes, that's fair enough. I guess the progression would have been felt by anyone. The years as they unfolded were years of human carnage. I don't know how else to describe it. It was dreadful to watch the decline in societies, communities, families, individuals over the course of serving in the UN role. I spent most of my time in the countries that had the highest prevalence rates. That's predictable, I guess. And the toll that was taken, particularly on women and girls, was a nightmare. And it wasn't until the end of my tenure that we began rolling out treatment in any appreciable way, so at least some people were surviving, some hope was evident. But when I left the job of Envoy, which had been performed with the support of a strong little team, those of us who'd been on that team, particularly my closest colleague, Paula Donovan, who lives in Boston and has years and years of international experience, we felt we wanted to create a vehicle to continue doing the public advocacy on the issues, because what I'd done as Envoy was almost exclusively advocacy. I didn't really have any money to do anything else. And so Paula and I created AIDS Free World. We're co-directors. We are working on issues of the new International Agency for Women, sexual violence, AIDS and the intersection with disabilities, which very few others are addressing, a kind of legal construct that will support indigenous legal activities in individual African countries when they're trying to get legislation on sexual violence or when they're pursuing a particularly complex case on property rights or something, will be there to provide legal backup using pro bono firms in the United States. And we're also putting out an anthology of a number of extremely well-known international writers, fiction and nonfiction, who have never addressed AIDS before but want to write essays about it. So we're, we're doing as much as we can in an advocacy sense and making some of the hotshots who occupy the seats of power as uncomfortable as possible. And what will you do with these essays? We will have a commercial publication. That is to say, we will have a very reputable publisher. I'm not at liberty because the contract hasn't been signed yet, but a very reputable publisher in the United Kingdom and then in North America, and we will publish it as an anthology, and I think it will make a very considerable difference. These are names which are well-known internationally and much revered. That's interesting, a very creative approach to reaching people. There's obviously so much work to be done, and that's what you became aware of with your work in the UN and have continued. There are certain public health issues connected to the reduction of HIV-AIDS that you work hard to educate others about, issues that are often misunderstood due to misinformation or poor coverage. Let's see if we can highlight a few of them, starting with abstinence-only programs. 
Yes, I think that it is quite clear on the evidence, really, that abstinence-only programs don't work. I mean, they're very silly, abstinence-only programs to begin with, because simple human logic makes one understand that sexually active adolescents will not embrace abstinence-only, and abstinence is not possible nor desirable in marriage. So you've got a huge swath of the population who are unprotected by any abstinence formula. Indeed, as we've learned in Africa, one of the most dangerous situations, one of the highest risk situations is to be married, particularly older men marrying younger women. The younger women think they're in a monogamous relationship. The older men bring the virus into the marriage. And abstinence, as it has been used by the presidential plan in the United States, has, I think, distorted the entire prevention response. Obviously, in the traditional ABC, abstinence, be faithful, condoms, the condom aspect is by far the most important. Condoms are the best preventive device we now have. That isn't to say that you shouldn't use abstinence or being faithful to one partner. Obviously, one tries as hard as possible to persuade people that all three ingredients are important, but abstinence only will never solve the problem and is in many ways the toughest of the three. And the viewpoint of some who wanted to push those programs has been harmful. I believe it has been harmful. I mean, these are things which may be difficult to prove, but it's interesting that the strongest focus on abstinence was in Uganda. And after all, one must acknowledge that largely through the preventive work of President Museveni, uh, Uganda's prevalence rate dropped dramatic from the early 1990s when it was 20% down to 6% today. But it started to inch up again. And even UNAIDS has expressed the concern that the return of the virus in Uganda and inching up in the prevalence rate might be attributable to this abstinence fixation and a diminution in the use of condoms. I mean, there were at one point many, many billboards all over Uganda advertising condoms. Now, well, for the longest time in the last couple of years, particularly promoted by Janet Museveni, the first lady, the condom signs were taken down, the abstinence signs were put up, and the first lady publicly and quite savagely ridiculed the use of condoms and claimed they were terribly deficient and frightened people away from them. Now I see she's undergoing a return conversion and has started to talk about condoms again. But I think in countries like Uganda and Zambia, the willingness to talk about abstinence was based in part on the money they received. The presidential plan offered them all kinds of money in support of abstinence, and they need money desperately, so they took the money and the program. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Stephen Lewis, co-director of AIDS-Free World and former U.S. Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS in Africa. Can you talk to us about the role of breastfeeding in prevention of HIV-AIDS? That seems to be another issue where there's a lot of misinformation and just a lack of available information. The breastfeeding dimension of it bothers those of us in AIDS-free world greatly, and it certainly bothers my co-director, Paula Donovan, who has been expert in this field for a number of years. We now know, I think this just has to be said, on the basis of authoritative studies, that exclusive breastfeeding for six months for an HIV-positive woman is as good in preventing transmission of the virus as using formula. It's an interesting reality that that's the outcome of the studies performed, by the way, in South Africa. But that's the simple truth. And the adjacent truth is that 
the use of formula in most countries in Africa where you don't have access to clean water and where you don't even have access to the pennies to buy the formula, it just doesn't make sense. You get secondhand products, you get misleading advertising, you get the very significant sickness that is induced in kids who aren't breastfed in developing countries. WHO has made the point that using formula can result in very significant illnesses and death other than AIDS. In fact, much more significant illness and death other than AIDS. So one has to be very careful. You use the formula only where you have clean bottles and access to the appropriate formula. But for the bulk of the women in Africa, breastfeeding is absolutely indispensable and Frankly, all of the offensive words that have been thrown at breastfeeding makes no sense anymore because we now know that, as I said, exclusive breastfeeding for six months is the best way or certainly the best equivalent way to protect against transmission of the virus. Uh, women who have HIV have been self-conscious, of course, about bottle feeding because it immediately exposes their status to the community. And if they haven't declared their HIV status, they're anxious. It would be good to eliminate and get rid of all that anxiety and just recognize that breastfeeding is, as it has always been, tremendous protection for the infant in every imaginable way. Are there some promising programs out there helping to inform those mothers? Well, everybody is trying to do it. It's tough because the education isn't always available, but yes, there are. I mean, there are places like Rwanda and Botswana and South Africa where people who are very expert in the field swear by formula and use it, but they have the resources to use it, so it's perfectly okay and safe to an extent. But it's really important to encourage women to breastfeed exclusively for six months since that's of equivalent safety. Uh, in fact, it's better because you're not subject to so many of the other illnesses which young babies would acquire. People with HIV AIDS need excellent nutrition in order to tolerate their medications and to do well in general. How are we faring in providing adequate nutrition to those infected around the world? That's an excellent, excellent question and one whose time has come. I mean, you're picking up on something which is more and more engaging people in discussion and concern because of the tremendous rise in food prices at the moment and the inability even to feed the hungry. And if you don't have food when you're on antiretrovirals, you're in real trouble. And now it's a double issue, simply of getting the food and then getting nutritious food. So nutrition is vital. Everybody is beginning to realize it. There are more and more programs embracing good nutrition. There are more and more vitamin supplements being provided in or with the food. It's tough because it's just difficult to get everybody to understand that merely feeding people on AIDS is not enough. It has to be good food and the right kind of food to make the drugs work most effectively. And all of this gets further complicated when you've got drought, you've got famine, you've got hunger, you've got high costs of food that can't be imported. This is a tremendous crisis for the developing world and for Africa in particular, and nutrition must not be lost sight of because it's so valuable. What is it going to take to reach these people and provide that kind of nutrition? What I think it will require, that if we can train enough community health workers, not merely to look after people who are on treatment and are still very ill, but also to teach women about breastfeeding, to 
counsel people about nutrition and to make sure that that's available at hospitals or health clinics or community centers, the answer lies in community health workers from Ethiopia right through to the little country of Lesotho. That seemed to be the answer. That sounds like a promising avenue and a lot of work to do. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Stephen Lewis, co-director of AIDS Free World and former UN Special Envoy for HIV AIDS in Africa. Stephen Lewis, thank you for the interesting conversation. Thank you. 